Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 63 of Thrive Deeper, your podcast all about going through the Bible with a Thrive Daily Reading Guide. It's DJ here and on this week's episode, Matthew Jacoby and myself get into chapters 5 to 9 of my favorite book of the Bible. There I go. I've said it publicly. I've put it on the record. I love the book of Hebrews and we're getting stuck right into the message that the writer of Hebrews wants us to know. Now, also on this week's episode, we've got a very special offer for you to get Thrive, the daily reading guide into your church or your group. Keep on listening. I'll I'll tell you how to do that. But first, we kick off this week's episode with a well, what can I say? A bit of a uh, bit of a status check on me, and a bit of a look at what's going on in my life. Get a little bit honest here. Is it a complaint? I don't know. But keep on listening. I'm so excited to go through the Book of Hebrews with you. It's DJ here for Thrive Deeper. Oh boy, uh, Matt, I am beat. Mm. I am beat. I, I let me give you a picture of the last twenty four hours of my okay. life. Okay, I, I do breakfast radio, so mm. I get up at five o'clock. It would just be before five o'clock every day. Wow. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> it's part of the job. That's a good effort. I got up. I got up usual time yesterday. Did my breakfast show yesterday. Jumped straight into the car. Drove up to Melbourne, where I then spent uh, all day and night in Melbourne helping to coordinate this humongous. Uh, photo shoot and demonstration for a photo lab as my previous life as a photographer right, right. I still help out every now and then mm. some dear friends from Adelaide they were staging there was 50 photographers uh, six different models uh, dancers uh, names speaks everything like this running around hiring equipment doing all that for them at the last minute got home had to edit a podcast to get it up and done mm. and up and loaded mm. you know the back end of what we do yeah. here got to bed at midnight, yeah. after uploading the episode, five o'clock this morning, up to do the breakfast show today. Breakfast show has been a massive one today. A lot of pre-recording, some great interviews. I got to speak to one of my all-time, uh, you know, childhood heroes, Mr. Michael Sweet, lead singer, guitarist from uh, Striper, oh, the, the, the Christian heavy metal back band back in the eighties. <laughs> there, Striper's about to come to Australia in November. There's a plug for Michael Sweet there, but um, I got to speak to him this morning in an interview, and literally, I hung up the phone from him, and in you came. Ah, all right, yeah. <laughs> so that's my morning. This so is you've the- got good momentum. Let's call that good momentum. <laughs> I yeah. love the fact that you put a positive spin on it there. That's great. That's great. Well, in yeah. this good momentum, let's continue the momentum going here. And be and, and, and I'm saying all that to just say, if all of a sudden halfway through this episode I collapse. Oh, no, no. I'm going to keep you awake, buddy. Well, we are talking about my favourite book yeah, in the Bible. Are, yeah. So that goes a long way. The book of Hebrews, um, you know, just a, a beautiful, beautiful, uh, you know, I, I believe it's a linchpin book, mm. uh, you know, for the Christian walk. And we spent last, last week, and I Hopefully you've caught up on that episode, last week's episode. If you haven't stopped, go back and listen to it. Why it's so important and how it, how I think it's a perfect uh, segue, what we've been doing over the last few months mm. of going through those final books of the Old Testament into the book of Matthew, a very Jewish way of thinking, and now to a book 
written to Jewish believers in the early church mm. about the preeminence of yeah. Christ. And we're in the middle of a pattern that the writer of Hebrews is doing where he's, he, his goal is to talk about the preeminence, the superiority of Christ over all other way, mm. o- over everything, in the light of warning us to con- continue to walk with him in, in the face of persecution. And he then he says in the very first opening verses that in in previous generations, God has spoken to our ancestors in different ways. Let me show you those different ways and how Christ is superior to him mm. in every way. Yeah. So we've touched on angels. We've touched on the mm. law. We've touched on Moses yeah. and the rest. Yeah. And now we get into the priesthood. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think this, and again, to underscore the fact that the the, re, the readers of this um, uh, of this pastoral letter really is essentially what it is were under enormous amount of emotional pressure mm. um, by the Jewish community to turn back and and it was it's hard to overstate how uh, significant that pressure was you know they they perhaps had felt ostracized they were feeling like, oh, it would just be easier just to go back. I'm just going to play the game, just going to go back, go to synagogue, do the journey into, you know, uh, Jerusalem for the feasts and just, I'll just keep, you know, I'll, I'll just go back to where we were. The The writer of Hebrews says, you, you just can't do that. It's just, you, you are... I mean, you're ditching the fulfilment of everything. That, you know, there's there was no there's no point in all of that stuff that you're going back to, yeah. except that it was a prefigurement of the reality which we now have hmm. uh, in Christ. So um, this is really important. He wants to point out that to go back to that hmm. is actually complete apostasy yeah. from God. Yes, it's not like you got this option yes. or oh. you can do this option. Yeah. No, he says there is, there's no option, but mm. because God has done this in Jesus Christ, now that's it. To abandon that is to completely abandon the ship. Mm. You know, mm. so, because, so, because all of it, yeah. all of it is about Jesus. Yeah. You know, the, the law, Moses, the promised yeah. land, all of it, angels, it's all about Jesus. And if you get, turn your back on him... Yeah. Oh, like he keeps on bringing up. Remember those who turn their back on these other yeah. inferior ways. Yeah. How bad it was for them. Yeah, or oh, right. it's going to be worse for you yeah. if you turn your back on yeah, Jesus. That's right. Yeah. So, having made those other points about the superiority of Christ uh, to the angels and to Moses, uh, after having established the fact that the 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 promised land itself was a was a prefigurement of a ultimate state of rest, mm-hmm. uh, that Edenic state, the new heavens and the new earth, we're still, you know, we're still looking forward to this rest. Um, in a sense, there's a sense in which we we have a sense of that rest now in Christ, that yes. he brings uh, that shalom, that peace. Um, he now is going to make the point that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. So, of course, the whole... the, the um, Judaism was really encapsulated. There were two aspects to this. There was the law and the uh, and the, the temple services. The center point, I have to say, the center point of Jewish life was the temple and the cult yes. and the priesthood. That's, yep. the, that's the center point. Are you using the word cult? Yeah. Why? Yeah, okay. that, I mean, that's got okay. a very negative connotations yeah, 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 in people's does. minds. No. So explain that real briefly. Yeah, okay. There's different ways you can use the word cult. Cult 
uh, refers to um, a religious system, um, uh, a prescribed religious system. So, I mean, we think of cults and we we think of, you know, uh, various sectarian yes. movements. Yeah. And, and I don't mean it like that. No. Uh, I mean the, the, the temple cult as a... Um, as a system, yep. as a religious system. Okay, great. Okay, sorry, that's good. No, no, just um, just defining it. So, um, so the the writer of Hebrews, and you know, this is the if we didn't have the book of Hebrews, mm. I mean, you try to imagine if we didn't have this book, that's... we would the 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 sense of what did all of that stuff mean? We wouldn't have that strong sense of being able to read. You know uh, Leviticus about all of the temple administrations and the and the sacrifices. We would not be able to read that with any sense of meaning. Uh, but because we have the Book of Hebrews, we can. Re- it creates a lens for us to read all of these things in the Old Testament as figures, patterns of something that the of which the reality is Christ. It's. Hebrews here that that gives us that. Now the yeah. first thing that he's going to talk about in this respect yes. is Jesus as the great high priest. He's going to first of all uh, make the argument from uh, the end of chapter four, and we're moving into chapter five, that Jesus is supremely qualified as the high priest. First of all, because he is able to to identify with human beings. Yes. Now. He's talking about the humanity of Jesus, and we we tend to not think that this is a problem. Like, is, isn't it the div- divinity of Christ that you would have to sort of uh, argue? Now, he's he's made that point in the opening, but there were lots of, and particularly if he's talking to a Jewish community outside of, you know, more in the Hellenistic kind of culture, uh, the the particularly Alexandria, uh, which is more influenced by Greek ideas. One of the key problems in the early church was less about the deity of Christ. Interestingly, a lot of people had a problem with the idea of the humanity of Christ. Yeah. Was he really a man? You had all of these ideas about that he only seemed to be in human form because this idea that um, that he can't really be this ultimate uh, expression of God if he is in in the flesh right because it, because the weakness f- and, because the physical the world yeah, how the physical world is imperfect and not good and the spiritual right. world is re- but that's reality classic the, Platonism that's that Greek way of thinking and and the, and the beauty of Christianity is like no it's all cohesive yeah. it's and all it's all God's right. creation yeah and that I mean that um, perspective that Greek and particularly the Platonist perspective had inroads into the Jewish uh, community. You see this in a um, very well-known um, Jewish scholar in uh, in this period, Philo uh, of Alexandria, okay. um, who really uh, adopted this Greek Platonist way of thinking, you know, that the ultimate... What, what is ultimately good, including God, is spiritual, but the earth is somehow, you know, it's it's limited, it's not... It's not um, uh, it, it's the cause of all of our problems in, in some sense. So the writer of Hebrews uh, makes the point that Jesus as the high priest um, is able to be our high priest because of his being made in human form, being subject to weakness, being vulnerable to suffering. These are actually really 
these are not things that take away from his superiority. This is the point. Yes. These are not things that take away his superiority, but these are actually requirements for his role as high priest. Because he's already set he's already set the bar very high in saying that Jesus, you know, is God of God, you know, That's like right. Jesus yeah. is God. So immediately you go, well, how is he going to identify with us in my struggles in the everyday person? And now he's bringing that other side of yeah. it in this. In, yeah, because the they're probably thinking, oh, so he's like the angel of the Lord. He's just a manifestation of God. Yep. Uh, and and that's that's and of course uh, the writer of Hebrews is is already the the pastor let's call him has already made the point no no he's superior to all of the angels including yeah. the angel of the Lord he's not just a manifestation uh, of God he actually is God in the flesh mm. and he's making this point because in order to be the high priest and to function as the high priest he has to identify with human weakness. And this is the point that he makes at the end of um, end of chapter four and uh, moving into um, chapter five. Uh, he talks about um, he talks about the ways in which Jesus can identify with uh, with humanity. And so, and interestingly, here, and we're going to talk about this as we move. Uh, move into the, the following chapters, he keeps saying you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Oh. And you may be wondering what is that all about? Because, of course, the, one of the other problems is that Christ is from the line of Judah, yep. which is great for his messianic claims. Yes. Uh, he needs to be uh, from but, the tribe but, of but Judah But not to great be king. for his priesthood claims. That's right. You need to be, you need to be um, from the tribe of Levi to be a priest. Son of Aaron, Moses' yeah, brother. That's right. So the, the children of Aaron become the priesthood by God. They are set up. And, uh, you know, so you've got that. So Christ claims genetically that way, yeah. not so good. But the writer of Hebrews does an amazing job of of going to places that are so deep yeah. with with this order, uh, this idea of he is a priest in the line designated like yeah. Melchizedek. And and from for for the average casual Bible reader, yeah. even a Sunday school goer, they go, uh, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, who, that's right. Who, so so wh- we'll get to Melchizedek because this is an important. But he has to throw that that in there now, yes, because otherwise a Jewish reader is going to say, "Hang on, he's not a priest. He's not a Levite." Yes. So so he's he's alluding constantly to Psalm 110, mm. which is a messianic psalm, which talks about the coming Messiah as having a priesthood that is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Yeah. Even the Aaronic priesthood, yeah. even the Zadokite priesthood, if you because the priesthood gets more and more narrowly defined yes, as you yes, go on yes. uh, through through history. So uh, that psalm, and that was a very well known messianic messianic yeah. psalm. Yeah. That was, and it was accepted that that this messianic role would involve a priesthood superior to the. Uh, Levitical priesthood. And so we read about Melchizedek, and we're going to get into yeah, it in we'll a minute, that. but but that's, you know, the references there, if you want to go back and read it, read Genesis 14 yeah. and read uh, Psalm 110. Yeah, that's right. Both, both of those have those yeah. references. But he goes into a warning yeah. about this before he gets into, like, yeah. really fleshing it out, so, and this warning and, is amazing. The, just one word about the context of the warning. Yeah. So just to repeat, part of the superiority of Christ, because you, you think, why, uh, how does the thing about Jesus' humanity and his ability to empathise with our weakness, how is that an argument for his superiority? It is because he's talked about Jesus as Jesus' divinity, 
but he wants to, but that doesn't mean he's not just the angel of the Lord. He is actually superior because he has this full humanity as well. That's an argument for superiority. So it means he empathizes with our weakness. Now, this leads us into the warning because he recognizes, okay, yes, you are suffering temptations here. and, And you know what? You have a high priest who yeah. knows exactly what that feels like. Yeah, that yeah. temptation to m- move away from the path that you're destined, uh, that that you God has called you to. We have a high priest who identifies completely with that. Mm. Um, so um, this, so, th- so this warning begins in verse yeah, and eleven. I'll, and I'll read of this five. because um, oh. because this is. Um, Mate, can I read it, please? Okay, yeah, you read this, it. This is. One of the reasons why I love the book of Hebrews so much mm. is because of the raw honesty yeah, of, of the teacher, raw, yeah. of the pastoral heart here. Mm. And this is when I, if dear, dear listener, let me just say this we have a tendency to read passages like this and either gloss over them or say, gee, I wish Jimmy heard that because he really needs mm. to hear this. Let the Spirit of God mm. bring these verses yeah. to your heart because it, it will cut you. He says, now about this, we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He's he's saying you should be way ahead of this. You should have got this. Um, oh, and still cuts me to the day. Element, yeah, there's an element of uh, it's not really sarcasm, but it's it's an element in, in, in to which he's saying that um, you know, like do, you're acting like kids here. You, you, this you, is elementary yeah, school this is, stuff, You guys. should get this stuff. Why we should don't be, you get this? Yeah. Even as Jewish people, you should get this. Yeah. You should see that all of that was just a prefigurement. You should know this stuff. Yeah. Why do I have to teach you this? Because he's pointing out the, the contradiction in their, in their situation. They're not going back because they because there's a good argument for that. They're going back simply because of this of this pressure. So then but, he, but but there's a pressure on us today. I mean we we these verses still apply to us yeah, today as Christians yeah, as part right, of yeah. this part of this church because sometimes we we just sit in the elementary things. We stay so shallow about our depth of our understanding here. Yeah. And, I, and I feel that the call this is one of the reasons why I love this book so much because it called me out of my stupor. Yeah. It called me out of the Christian, you know, ghetto that I was living in where I thought everything was okay. Yeah. And I heard God calling me, yeah. me, yeah. to something deeper. Yeah. And I was like, I'm ready. Yeah, and, it's it's so, and it's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Anyway. So it goes on. Um, read the next bit, DJ. In verse, uh, beginning of down chapter to, six. I reckon down to um, verse. Three, six okay. verse three. He starts off chapter six, verse one. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Okay, let me stop you there then. And because I'll get you to read uh, verses uh, four, five, and six in a moment. Yep. But I just want you to underscore a couple of things. So yes. first of all, he's saying we we must go on to maturity. Yeah. 
you can't die. if you stop growing you die that's it that's the idea yep. okay so you have to go on to mature this is not an option um uh, and he says and this we will do if god permits now this is interesting if mm. god permits mm. um uh, so uh this kind of leads on to the next bit so the idea we've got to go on to maturity we've got to not go backwards because there's a problem really big problem if you go backwards and you reject Christ, mm. there's no hope. So he goes on, verse 4. Verse six. 4, it says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Yeah. Now this Ooh. is this has caused all sorts of discussion and controversy because you know the idea that it's impossible if you fall back to be brought back to repentance. Yeah. Um, that is a disturbing Oh. Uh, idea. Yeah. Well, and again, th- I think this is why the book impacted me so much because I grew up in that real, I'm going to say Southern Bob- Baptist fundamentalist yeah. tradition yeah. of once saved, always saved. You were saved when you walked forward yeah. and made a decision and, you yeah. bo- and your name got written yeah, down on the front right. of the Bible yeah. on a date and you were there and you were like, beauty, ticket to heaven because – yeah. It is by faith alone. There is yeah. nothing you have done to earn yeah. salvation. So there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. So you're good to go. Yeah. Now there's a lot of positive. There's a lot of positive theological. Yeah, there's. Yeah. there's I, I agree with all yeah, of that. Yeah. But yeah, as we have in the book of Hebrews and the book of James and even in the words of Christ, it doesn't stop at just getting saved. It goes on to maturity. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, we. Through Christ, by grace, yes. not because we earned it, Amen. we are given a life, a new life. Mm-hmm. And a new life is something to live in and through and out. We've got to live it out. And to not go on to maturity amounts to a rejection of that life. Um, and w- when he talks about, um, when he says those who have been enlightened and, and uh, who have fallen away, he's not talking about uh, sin in general. Yeah. He, he has something very specific in mind here. He is actually talking about, and this is what these readers are being tempted with, is rejecting Christ. Mm. Uh, that is what they are being tempted to. Mm. And he's saying, if you turn away from Christ, if you reject Christ, what even hope if, have you got? Even if you have experienced. Yeah. The Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. Even if you've experienced the gifts, even if you've experienced the goodness, and he, and he uses this beautiful language, the, yeah. the power of the ages. Yeah. Again, you know, Even if you've experienced the heights of this enlightenment, and he's saying no, no one, number, number one thing to be on the fear side yeah. of it, on the scared side of it, is the fact that he's warning about yeah. this is the fact that it's possible yeah. for someone to walk through all of that and then succumb to whatever it is and say, okay, I'm now – yeah. Turning away from Christ, and and the point here is that it's not like this isn't even like the Israelites turning away from Moses. You know, yeah. this it's like this is so much more serious because this is God's once for all final uh, salvation yeah. work yeah. in Christ. If you abandon this, you abandon everything. Yeah. Uh, so um, he is 
I mean, there's sense here that renew, you know, renewal. It's it's impossible because, uh, in fact, I'll read you a quote from a um, a commentary uh, here, which says uh, renewal is impossible because they are re-crucifying for themselves the Son of God and holding him up to public disgrace. Um, there's this sense of um, doing again to Christ what the Jewish people did. You know, we covered this in the last part of Matthew. Yes, yes. It's like that all over again. They rejected. They rejected their Messiah, mm-hmm. and um, and so they put themselves in this terrible position. He's saying you're actually going back to that. If you re- reject Christ now, you're like those people who mocked yeah. him. Uh, on uh, while he was on the cross, yeah. but the 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 real important sense of this is that if you harden your heart against Christ, it's not that it, it's like there's a sense that you, you make it impossible for yourself in that state um, of like that state of hardness of heart actually puts you in the most dangerous oh. sort of place. It's like you just won't. It's If, if you go back there, you'll be stuck back there. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, and, and, and this is in light of the, um, the magnitude of what Christ has done. I'll read you another quote from a, a commentary here um, uh, that says, and I think, I think this is from the New, Inter- uh, New International Commentary on the New Testament. Uh, what God has done in Christ is the grand and glorious, all-sufficient means of salvation. It fulfills all that he has done before and brings his promises to fruition. How then could we expect him to provide an alternate way of salvation for those who so definitively and publicly spurn his most gracious provision? Oh. That's the issue here. Yeah. Look, I, I, you know, I know there's a sense of tension here and it's a really disturbing it is a disturbing passage, but there's a sense in which it's meant to be disturbing. Amen. You know, here are people that are saying, "Ah, oh, we're we're thinking of going backwards." I mean, okay, it's one thing to reject Moses. He's saying it's one thing to reject Moses. Yeah. But if you reject Jesus, yeah, you have no hope. Yeah. Um, because if even that generation who rejected Moses, they didn't enter the promised land. That's it, right? That was forty years. That's it. Forty years. Well, do you think he's saying? Do you think that if you reject Christ, it's you know? Do you think it's going to be any less? They yeah. didn't enter their rest because they did yeah. that. You, you're you know very close to being in the same situation. But I, but I love the teaching heart in the in this pastor who's writing this in the book of Hebrews is that if we read this and we shiver to our core and it drives us deeper yeah. into into a relationship with God, yeah. that's where he wants us. Yeah. But but. I love the fact that he finishes up in you know in this little warning here in verse 12 where he talks about being imitators of those who through faith and patience yeah. inherit the promises that's an allusion to what's happening mm. that's alluding to 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 what's happening later on in the book when he's going to talk about what real faith is yeah and it's and it's almost like he's hinting at this struggle is real it's not going to be easy it is going to be a struggle there's going to be sacrifices yeah. made you're going to imitate the former people that are by faith, yeah. and it's not this braggiocious faith that we think we're going to be doing stuff yeah. in. There's a real genuineness of of the Christian yeah. faith that doesn't mean all bells and whistles and and success in the yeah, eyes yeah. of the world. Yeah, Just be right. faithful, and you will have this assurance to the end. Yeah. This hope. Yeah, that's what. And, and and there's there's a sense here. You just you've just got to hold on. Yeah. And and it, I mean it's even it's. 
I mean, it's even that because there's this sense that, you know, God holds on to us, but what these guys are doing is actually spurning the God who's holding on to them. You know, that's what they're in danger of. Um, look, um, one of the issues that we have when we come to things like this is that we, we're inclined to try to have things wrapped up in a sort of conceptual form, in a neat little bundle. Yeah. Oh, okay, so this raises all sorts of abstract questions. Oh, so does that mean a Christian can lose their salvation? Or can that... And, and I just think questions like that, because they're, they're our desire to have things tied up in a neat little logical bundle. And I think there's a whole, there's a problem with that whole way of thinking. This ultra sort of abstract, we need to have and when all you of say, the- And when you say abstract, you're, you're talking purely head, yeah, conceptual, yeah. logical laying out of rules and things like that. Yeah, like uh, uh, to create- um, a sort of a neat theological system that, and, and I mean, I think systematic theology is enormously, enormously important. So I think it's important that we do that. Yeah. But the fact is, is that this is something living, alive, dynamic. It's not just a, it's not just a logical system. This is, we're not dealing in maths here. No, this is no. This is relationship. Yes. It's relationship. This is not a formula. It's yeah. not a scientific yeah. formula. This isn't the periodic table, right? <laughs> that if you take this element, then that not work. It doesn't work like that. This is a dynamic relationship. Okay. So um, there are there certainly are principles and truths about that relationship, and one of those is that you've got to you've got to keep relating to God through Christ. I mean, this is. You've got to hang in there. Yeah. And so this idealistic, the, the idea of just resting in this idea that, oh, well, I, I made that decision. Um, you know, I, I remember when I was, you know, 17 and I had this conversion experience and so I've got my ticket. So no matter what, uh, I, I'm, I'm cool. That's not relationship. That's not. No, he says, no, no, you need to walk with God in Christ day to day. You need to go on to maturity. That's the point here. G'day family, DJ here, and I've got a very exciting opportunity to share with you. I know how much the Word of God means to you in your daily walk with Him. The scriptures and studying and going deeper into what God has given us in His Word means so much to you. That's why you listen to this podcast, and that's why you get the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. Well, our exciting opportunity is to provide you with 10 copies and a little stand that you can put into your church group, your life group, your Bible study, and basically sell and get some interest in the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. It's really, really simple. All you do is pay for shipping, and in the end, it actually doesn't cost you anything. It's very, very simple to do. All you need to do is head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Don't be scared. It is really, really simple to do, and it's a great way to practically support this podcast and thrive the daily reading guide that you know and love. So if you're interested, head over to thrivetoday.net.au and have a look for the church program. You'll see a little copy of Thrive on a little wooden desktop stand. And that is how you we uh, encourage you to move some of the Thrive daily reading guides in your group. 
It's really, really simple to do. We will walk you through it all. All you have to do is head over to thrivetoday.net.au. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get back into the book of Hebrews with Matthew on this episode of Thrive Deep. Listen to Thrive Deeper, and we are going through the book of Hebrews. We're just about to pick up chapter 7, and we are in the middle of the pastor who's written uh, the book of Hebrews, teaching us about why, why Christ is superior. He's been talking about the priesthood, and now he brings up, as for the second time, but now he really expands it, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Yeah. This is some pretty heavy stuff here, man. Yeah, well, it's important for the writer because the question is how can Jesus be a priest uh, when he's not a Levite? And here is where the writer actually um, evokes this text, Psalm 110, uh, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That refers back to Genesis 14. Yeah, that's right. The story of Abraham meeting this king yeah. And high priest. Well, let me let me read just those verses because yeah. it's a very short section on in Genesis 14. It says here in Genesis 14 from verse 17, after Abraham returned from defeating Kedaloma and the kings allied with him. I don't know if I pr- pronounce that uh, <laughs> ancient king's name. Well, uh, it says the king of uh, Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. Um, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And that's Where it. does this guy and come that, from? And, that, and then he's not mentioned <laughs> yeah. again. And then he's not mentioned again. Till the so sun. he's this mysterious figure. That, you know, if you can imagine like a, a, a movie or something where you get this entrance of this figure that is like this blazing figure and then you're thinking, what? Where did he come who from? Who was that? Yes. And, um, and he is, he's called a priest of the most high. I mean, he comes out with bread and wine and this sort of um, – uh, symbols. This, these symbols, you know, this, yes. it was part of the Passover, and of course, as we, you know, it's part. It's what these symbols that Jesus used for yeah. the Lord's Supper, and and he blesses Abraham. See, I mean, Abraham is the father of, of, you know, of, of the people of Israel, you know. So, and even including the Levites. Yes. And so uh, he blesses, and he, he's a he's a priest of the God of God Most High. Mm. So he's clearly saying of. Of God, I mean, it's like, who is this guy? Yeah. Like, and and he is the king. He is also a king. So here's something unusual. Yes. Now, now, not only is he a king, but he's the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. Yeah. So he's the king of Jerusalem. He's a king, and he's a priest. See that the high priest, even the high priests, the Levitical high priest, Aaronic high priest, yeah. they were never kings and priests. No. But here's a guy that. Is not only a priest of the Most High, but he's also a king. He's the king of Jerusalem. He comes, bursts into the scene, like burst onto stage for a few moments, 
in this critical point with Abraham, then recedes. But, but in the middle of that, the patriarch, our, our, the father of our faith, Abraham, the one who God yeah. promises his, his line from, Abraham goes, his 10% of the spoils yeah. to you, high That's priest. Right. Thanks. So, so the, Yeah, so the writer of Psalm 110 um, explains this for because the, the question is, who, who is that? You know? yes, yeah. and, and the writer of Psalm 110 gives us the, the, this example that this guy is a prefigurement, he is a type. In fact, his role in, you know, was, I mean, whoever he was, and we don't really know much about him, mm. but we know that he, he prefigures the Messiah, according to 100, Psalm 110, who would be both king and priest. Um, uh, and so this, the writer of Hebrews, this becomes really important for the writer of Hebrews because this is like the, the sort of ultimate uh, trump card in his, in his argument about yes. the superiority of Christ that Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Mm. And he he makes the case about the priority of the order of Melchizedek based on the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and, and in, in a sense Levi and Aaron were in the yeah. sort of loins of, you yes. know, in that sort of sense of uh, of. Of Abraham. Abraham. So, and Abraham paid tithes to. Yeah. And so, you know, there's this sense that the lesser pays tithes to the greater. Yes. The greater blesses the, the, the lesser. And so Melchizedek represents this greater order. Now, I mean, in at this time, um, there is so much discussion in Jewish circles about the right priesthood, the right lineage yeah. of priesthood. You know, there were... Um, and, and I can't go hugely into these debates, but this is a hot, hot topic, yeah. right? Because um, the uh, okay, the, the high priest has to be an Aaronic priest, but even as we go on, the, it gets more and more narrow. So the priest after Zadok, you know, Zadok was during David's period, that he then set Zadok sets the the new kind of priestly line. Yes, and the controversy was around this idea that the um, the 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 priesthood that was serving in the temple wasn't a Zadokite priesthood, and there was all this controversy uh, around which which is really foreign to our around that twenty nineteen everyone's equal yeah you know way of thinking the idea that anybody would say you know whatever this pastor or even this prime minister this president doesn't deserve that role because of the genealogy yeah that's right I mean it's an ancient thing when I mean, we see it in the kings and queens of you know, of the world that are still there. Yeah. You know, the, the you know the, we still see a little bit of that discussion yeah. happen about you know, oh, someone's married into this kingly line, or they, are they up to stock? Yeah. Are they racially, you know, type of thing? We don't have that yeah. sort of mindset, but this, as you say, massive yeah. issue. And the interesting thing is, during the Hasmonean period, and and by that I mean after the Maccabees, after uh, one sixty three, when the Maccabees took uh, over the kingdom from the. Greeks, the yes. Greek Empire. So that, that hundred years or so hundred year period yeah, yeah. of an independent kingdom leading right up until the Roman conquest. There was a yeah. hundred years of Jewish independence up to 63. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, there were these 
there was all of this rivalry between rival priests. And at one stage, there was actually a, and, and I'm, I'm just recalling this now, I haven't got my uh, notes, so I'm, I may not get this exactly right. But there, there was one rival, for example, that went down into Egypt and actually built a rival temple yeah, with a rival right, cult right. yeah. down in Egypt. And so you've got this, this controversy. And of course, the Essenes... Uh, felt very strong. The reason why they withdrew from Jerusalem and formed their own little community is because they strongly disagreed with the temple system. They felt that it wasn't the right priesthood. Right. So this whole this whole issue of the right priesthood was a hot issue. The writer of Hebrews says, uh, well, Jesus trumps everything because it's actually not about Levi, Aaron, Zadok, uh, the Hasmonean priesthood. It's he sweeps all of that aside. He say, and he says that Jesus is this priest in the order of Melchizedek, mm. which is a a greater order. And and the idea of of an order, I know we don't really that doesn't maybe carry a lot of weight. It doesn't for us, resonate for us, but anymore. it did for them. Yes, because it's yes. the c- controversy. It's like the right. The right but, lineage, the right priesthood. But you know important. what does hold a lot of sway in today's culture is the idea of power. Who gives yeah. you the right to say this yeah. into my life? Who gives you the right yeah. to do this? The idea of That's authority right. yeah. and power. And so we might be able to relate to it in that way that the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, the the power of the priesthood, the right of the priesthood, yeah. you know, there's this linear way of thinking, a bloodline of thinking that has resulted yeah. in their time and all these arguments and problems. But he's saying, you know what's even better than that? The power that comes from something that's indestructible, something that yeah. we can't deny from God, like Melchizedek. Yeah, we don't right. know anything about his genealogy, and yet he's higher than even Abraham. Yeah. And Jesus is like that. That's right. So yeah. he he is he is of that, of that lineage. And again, I mean the lineage thing is is because it's not it's actually not important to the writer that it's a physical lineage. It's interesting in verse 3, he says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, this is a strange <laughs> a strange verse. Look, it, I don't think he's saying, and, 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 and the, the, what I read about this, like it's, it's not saying that he was... Some kind of incarnation, or, or, or uh, uh, like an necessarily an angel, or um, uh, pro- I mean, there are various interpretations, but most probably it just simply means that according to the biblical record, yes, yes, um, he he just comes onto the scene of a higher order than just a genealogical thing. So the yeah. geneal, I think what he's saying here is that we don't have any genealogy and that's actually not important because in the case of Melchizedek, he actually transcends that. Yes. There's a sort of spiritual priesthood here that is not dependent on genealogy. and um, Which is, and is also divinely appointed. It's yeah. divinely, this is my plan. And, and the problem with the, the Levitical priesthood is that, you know, there was... It, it was continually renewed. I mean, you've yes. got all, all of this line of priests. He's saying this is an eternal priesthood. And, and the other problem that he brings up in chapter 7 is the problem with the priesthood is that even if they were of the godliest Levite of the, you know, yeah. whatever they are, they were continually offering sacrifices yeah. again every day, every year, week, That's right. every and year. That's his argument. And the, and the sacrifices were not only for the sins of the people but for the sins of themselves. Yeah. That's and, right. And, and he's like, even that, you know, lets yeah. the whole so thing down. this is an important part of his argument because, yeah. he, you know, again, in showing that Christ's priesthood is greater, that is 
a key thing because if, okay, if that was sufficient, why do they need to do it again and again and again? And it's just this never-ending cycle of sacrifices. Well, he says, in this priesthood, it only has to happen once. Because now, now, first of all, you know, Jesus is both the king and the priest like Melchizedek. And he is also not only the one who brings the sacrifice, but he is the sacrifice, and it's a once and for all sacrifice. Mm. And, I mean, the other um, the other thing uh, about Jesus' superiority and, and his being a priest in, in the line of Melchizedek is that the Levitical priests or the Aaronic priests, the high priests, were not made into a priest by a divine oath. Mm. And yet he points out that it's actually by a divine oath, and this is what's recorded in um, Psalm 110, which says, the Lord has sworn, this is Psalm 110 verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Projecting forward to this messianic figure. So, okay, so the, the Lord has made an oath and this is going to be an everlasting priesthood. So there's something different about the institution of this priesthood as well. Um, that's another sense in which this becomes superior. And that moves into chapter 8 where he really fleshes out the idea of the, the priest and the sacrifice here. Yeah. And he, he he talks about, you know, he gets into the – what would you've used the word prefigurement. Yeah. He talks a little bit about – what he uses, and I think he uses this a couple of times in the book of Hebrews, that what the priests were doing, what God had given Moses was to set up a pattern, yeah. a shadow of something we don't even understand yet yeah. of the heavenly thing. And Christ yeah. is like, and it, and it begins to like, this real mystical yeah. element begins an, to open an, up. That's right. It's another, another contrast. So another sense in which Jesus is greater is that the, uh, the high priest uh, served in a physical earthly tabernacle that is just a cop. It's just a pattern of the real yeah. tabernacle <laughs> yeah. that is a heavenly tabernacle. Now, by heavenly tabernacle, uh, you know, I don't think we're meant to th- this to mean that somewhere in heaven there is a um, like a a room, yeah, a room yeah. Or, or something like that. Yes. But in in a uh, in a physical sense, the 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 tabernacle represents directly that transaction that occurred in the atoning act of Christ. Um, So there is this sense in which Jesus is not working here in a physical earthly tabernacle, but in a heavenly tabernacle, that it's a heavenly transaction that's Mm -hmm. going on here in heavenly places. So this is, you know, so he, having made satisfaction for sins, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, you know, the, the high priest intercedes before the temple curtain, hmm. um, but Jesus intercedes at the right hand of God in yeah. heaven, not just not just at the curtain, yeah. you know, in the holy place, but actually in heaven. And that leads us into, and there's a lot to be said here in chapter 8 and chapter 9 as we wrap up this episode, but that leads us into chapter 9 where he lays out the scope of the temple of of the sorry the tabernacle yeah the, the you know the ark of the covenant what happened in there yep. what it was about the 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 uh you know the ongoing system of yep. the priesthood he lays that out and he yet again you know lays that on top of Christ and not only yeah you know applies it to both but then makes Christ superior because yep. of what what Christ has done and what he's he's done there the yeah. redemption it's interesting here in have a look down in verse 8 of 
uh, where are we, chapter 9, mm. he says, by this, and he's just talked about all the things that happen, you know, yes. the, the what the high priest does. And, yep. uh, and he says, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which, which is, is symbolic a, for the present age, he yep. says. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper. And this is indicating the fact that they have to be done again and again and again. So they don't actually ever... In, it's not that there's anything wrong with what's happening, mm. but they themselves don't actually achieve the cleansing of the worshipper. That's what that's achieved in Christ. Oh. And, and, and he says, you know, the fact that... In a sense, the temple still represents a bit of a clo- like a closed door. I mean, it's it is meant to represent a kind of portal uh, through which God blesses um, his people. So, in one sense, it's an open door, but in another sense, there's a closeness about that as well. Um, you know, which is why only once a year the high priest went. You know, mm-hmm. only once a year into the holy of holies. But he points out Jesus has given us access, given us access uh, to um, to God, and the way is now open. Yeah. So why go back to something that's yeah that's so inferior that's uh, that's yeah. closed? It's, it's it's like yeah exactly. He's saying all of this was pointing to one day it would be finally done. The ultimate sacrifice would be finally done. That ultimate sacrifice has been done by Christ once and for yeah. all. You've you've gone there. Why? Why do you want to walk back? Yeah, you've actually gone there. Don't don't you don't finish the race and then yeah. go. You know what? I liked it halfway. I'm going to go back halfway yeah, and right. go sit there. And, and 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 again, you know, he he points out that look, you want to go back to all of that. Let me tell you that the blood of goats and bulls and that never did the job. Mm-hmm. That you know, I mean, there's this misunderstanding perhaps that they thought you know this is what covers my sins. This animal, the offering of this animal. Mm. Well. The writer points out the blood of animals can't atone for sin. I mean, yeah. that was that was even never it was never even intended that that was the case. These are just symbols pointing forward to the only one who actually could take away our sins for all of the reasons that he's just talked about. And he even concedes in a little part there. He says, "Listen, if the blood, you know, like he says at one point, I'm going to try to find it here. Yeah. You know, for it's sorry, it's in nine thirteen. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled purpose, purpose persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, like okay, even if this does some sort of ritual purification, yeah, yeah. how much more will the blood yeah, of Christ?" Right, yeah who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to yeah. God. It purifies, and this is what you were alluding to before, yeah. our conscience yeah. from the dead works through the living God. That's right. Holy yeah. moly, yeah. man. That's right. This is, to me, and again, I'm gonna. I, I, this might be a theme we come back to every now and then, this, this epiphany that I had when I finally read the book yeah. of Hebrews and let God speak to me through the yeah. book of Hebrews. That picture we see in Matthew that the that the ter- the curtain was rent in two when yeah. Christ finally died in the holy of holies yeah. the thick veil was ripped in yeah. two. This showed me what that meant. Yeah, that's right. This this illuminated what the rending what the you know this curtain being ripped and we could go into the holy of holies. This made me understand what yeah. God was talking about. That that's right. And and if and when you think about it again through the temple system and the the, the priesthood and the sacrifices. God wanted to say to his people continually, I don't want you to live in this cringing sense of guilt before me. You know, because when you look at the the religions of the ancient Near East, there's always this sense of 
the gods are angry and we've got to continually try to placate them. But God institutes this temple system so that they would not uh, so that they would not live in that state. There would be a sense of, of confidence in yeah. God. Hmm. Now, again, the argument here is if that's the case with them, how yeah. much more should that now be the case with us, right? Yeah. Like God does not want us to live in condemnation and guilt. Hmm. And if, and if he was saying that to them back then, then how much more in the light of what Christ has done? This is once for all, it's done, it's finished, it's sealed. There is no condemnation. So we've got to get over wallowing in guilt uh, and actually, because the irony is, is that the walling, wallowing in guilt and failure is the thing that stops us from coming to maturity. Yes. You know. Yes. And, and in order to, to grow onto maturity, we actually have to recognize this once for all thing. And that's how he finishes chapter that's nine. Right. Yeah. Once and for all. And it's yeah. beautiful because you get to the point where you 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 know, and this is the beautiful thing about the the, the yeah. writing of this pastor, is that he knows how to bring us to the edge of despair. Yeah. You know, almost yeah. to the edge of the despair. And then he brings it he, he brings it back and gives us that hope. Like like he says at the end of, of uh, chapter nine, verse 26, 27, 28, he says, you know, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Yeah, yeah. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Yeah. He gives us that sense of hope of yeah. the, you know what the, what we're going through in this life, that we are eagerly awaiting for yeah. him. That's a significant verse there, just as it is appointed for man to die at once and after that comes judgment. And at that we go, oh, no, I'm, I'm so afraid. Yeah. He's actually saying, in, in as much as that is the case, yeah. so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of the many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. Like he's actually already done that. He's done it. Like if you, there's a sense in which, and of course there's a sense of judgment, but the ju- judgment will be all about did you receive the gift I freely gave you? Yeah. That's what will it will come down to. Yeah. You know, when the Son of Man comes in Luke 18, will he find faith yeah. on the earth? Yeah. That's uh, you just just hold hold on to this. And so there's this sense that for those that we can do judgment now, mm-hmm. we can do judgment now with God. We can get this. We can allow sin to be judged in us in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that there's a sense in which oh no, my sin has already been judged and condemned. In Jesus Christ, so that on the day of judgment, um, all therefore, because of what Christ has done, all we are that that is expected of us is how did you relate to Christ? Yeah. What was your response to Christ? And did we, you live by faith in did, Christ? Did we wait wait eagerly for yeah. Him? Like that that that's point right. of yeah. eagerness for Christ? Yeah. I think that's what that's what the call is all about. This yeah. is what he's trying to bring us to, not to fall away, but to live in this eagerness for yeah. for for, for, yeah, for, right. for this relationship yeah. with him. Yeah, it's awesome. And it it you know if there's one thing that God wants to get across to us, and and uh, this is this is the key. It's like you know what is the thing that God wants us to know the most? Well, if you look at the Old Testament, if you look at like both Old and New Testament, from the complex temple system through to the New Testament where Jesus says again and again and again, I want you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with these symbols 
to me it's clear that the one thing that God wants us to know is that he has forgiven us and we can have a relationship with him without any condemnation. It's like God knows that we are prone to wallow in guilt and condemnation. And I think he wants us to say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're my children. Let's walk together. Oh, we went there deep into the priesthood of Jesus himself in the line of Melchizedek. How cool is that? I'm thinking about making some leather jackets with the priesthood of Melchizedek on it, on the back. What do you reckon? You're going to join my club? We'll have a picture of Jesus on there. (laughs) Uh, It gets me so excited when we get into the deep stuff of the book of Hebrews. I'm loving it. Now, as we wrap up, I just want to give you a heads up. Make sure you head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Have a look at the church program there and how you can help us get the message of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide out to your friends and family, wherever you fellowship. It's a really, really simple way to do it. And if you do it through our guidelines, I promise you it's not going to cost you a cent. It's really, really simple. All right. That's enough from me. Next week, we go even deeper into the book of Hebrews as it builds up and up and up. Until next week, this is DJ for Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you were reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's word and thrive.